you may turn in your Bibles to, uh, I've got two passages there I'm going to ask you to look up and then the rest will be verses that are provided for you uh, developing the theme that we're looking at today. Um, the, we, we started a series on the Ten Commandments and we're now up to number three. So that gives you an idea how many are left. That is, if you pass your second grade arithmetic class, you can subtract three from ten and then you will know. I should draw your attention to um, the fact that the, uh, our daily bread devotionals are on the foyer table. There's no charge for these. We have lots of them. In fact, extra lots this time because they sent us a double order. But you can take these. If you don't have a daily uh, reading and devotional challenge guide uh, to get your day started out right, uh, then I recommend this. If you do, that's good. But uh, And give them away, too, if you like. I think they're uh, very... Uh, well written for uh, people without necessarily needing a theological or church background. Exodus chapter 20 we're going to begin with today. Exodus chapter 20 is the Ten Commandments and God spoke all these words. Verse 1 and this is found on page 54 if you're using the Pew Bible. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. That's commandment 1. Now, I should point out that uh, there are some other traditions where the commandment breakdown is different, uh, but this is the most common, uh, the, the verse breakdowns that we're using today. Commandment number one, you shall have no other gods before me. This is, I'm God, you know, and we talked about this the last couple of weeks. Uh, if God is God, and he's the creator, the superintendent, and the final judge of the universe, then naturally it would be important to, for him to identify himself. And then verse 4, commandment 2, you shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. I drew your attention when we talked about this a couple of weeks ago to epigenetics. That is the notion, uh, or actually probably the discovery in the recent decades of, uh, of uh, generational impact. That isn't just about DNA being passed on, but uh, ways that people are affected by things that happen to their parents, grandparents, great-grandparents, and so on. Generational impact. And I drew your attention to the fact that while this statement from God is, this is not a curse upon the children or the grandchildren about what he's going to do to them because of what the grandparents did. But this is God saying this will have an impact on because on the succeeding generations because you are created in the image of God. You are able to pass on things in society, extended family, immediate family, that uh, you're able to pass these things on and you will be passing them on whether you want to or not. It's not too difficult for people to trace uh, issues from the past to the present or from the present backwards to the, to the past. Now I think one of the problems with that is that people sometimes get kind of hung up on that and, and blame the past. 
well, my parents did this, and my, my parents were like this, and my grandparents were like this, and my whole family, they're like this. They're all screwed up, and so I get to be screwed up too. That's exactly the opposite of what he's saying. He said, that's what is going to happen naturally, and God, the creator, knows what's going to happen to his own creation. That will happen, but you can turn it around on a dime. It's up to you. That's why he, turns, he says that he concludes the sentence by saying, showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. He just uses, I think he's using, numerical figure of speech here, saying, this is a problem. But I got a bigger promise, that if you will use the opportunities given to you in your life, you can do something about it. And the impact of what you do positively is going to be even greater than the impact of what was done to you negatively. So take the opportunities, not the excuses. That's the basis of this promise. Well, one thing I didn't bring up in too much detail uh, is the notion of other gods, uh, first one, but graven images, number two. No other gods, no graven images, number two. And the third one we'll get to in verse 7. And that's our topic for today. Uh, the graven images mean simply uh, making pictures. You may know that the Protestant Reformation in, um, in the uh, uh, 15th, 16th, and 17th century in Europe had a lot to do and say about this. When Margie and I visited uh, um, some countries in Europe about 10 years ago, we visited uh, some big historic Protestant churches in Luzon. Um, I think Farrell preached there. He's one of the reformers. John Knox in Scotland and John Calvin in uh, Geneva, Switzerland. They preached their whole careers in huge church buildings that had been cathedrals. But they didn't really look like cathedrals on the inside because in the Reformation, the reformers, the Protestant reformers, had stripped out all of the icons and all of the statuary and all of the fancy stuff that made it what it was in its original form. And you know, if you have a Catholic background, that their churches have a lot more things in it that are religious in nature. There's pictures on the wall, there's images, and so on. These are not idols or graven images of God. They're icons, and they're used as an aid to worship. But it's always been important in the Protestant version, and we are part of that, that plainness helps us to see God. Now, there are churches that wouldn't even allow a cross in the church because that would be like, well, that's too close to a graven image. Well, it's not really a graven image of God. It's a graven image of, well, it's a wooden image of uh, something that happened to Jesus. And, uh, and so... It, I think there's a range of things in that area that you can do. But the point that he was making is that this is a trap. This is a trap. You may say, well, I'm just making an image of God. Have you ever seen God? Well, I got, I got a picture of Jesus in the back of my Bible. That photograph cameras were great 2,000 years ago, right? And that's really what Jesus looks like. It's always been a little puzzler to me. We, we, we do the art to say something to ourselves, And that's what art is good at. And I think pictures of Jesus actually make a lot more sense than pictures of God the Father because, you know, Michelangelo made a beautiful, oh, was it Michelangelo? Who did the Sistine Chapel, right? Michelangelo did the Sistine Chapel. I didn't know him, but uh, 
I'm not that old. Some of you probably knew him, but uh, I won't mention any names, but, uh, uh, but picture of God reaching down. Well, it's just art. And anybody who thinks that God is a white-haired gentleman with a white beard is unfortunately proposing a sort of racist and bigoted and sexist view of God. And this is the problem that many people have when we try to get out of our Western European Aryan race construct. What does God look like? Well, he looks like my grandpa, Santa Claus. Uh, a lot of the kids once in a while confuse me with God. I think it's the beard. But, and maybe the age, but, uh, but that's not what God looks like. Well, maybe it is, but who knows? The point of it is when you embed the idea of God, the person of God, into something, a statue, a graven image, you change the message because now this reflects you. And as long as it's just art, that's okay. But when you say, that is God, now you have cemented him into an image that you came up with in your own head, and that image is going to reflect your ethnic background, your racial makeup, and what you see in the mirror. And I don't think that's a good idea. A lot of Christians have had a difficulty with this, and they should have. We should be careful about how we image God. And we should be careful to say, this is art. This isn't God. This, isn't, this is art. Nobody has seen God. That's what he says. Jesus is described in much more detail. So that, you're getting closer there. But actually there were no cameras in that day. And uh, there's no self-portraits. There's no portraits of Jesus from that day. So anybody who's got an idea that he has to look like this is superimposing a religious construct onto the person of Jesus. And that's what we're talking about today in verse 7. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. That taking the Lord's name in vain is the old English expression for this in the King James Bible and some others. In other words, in addition to not having any other gods, number one, attempting to uh, make idols and graven images of God and worshiping those, number two, and uh, number three, speak respectfully of me because I'm real. I have personhood. I am a person. We just got done. He just got done saying, I'm a jealous God. In other words, I've got feeling and emotions too. Of course he does. He's not limited to our weakness with emotions, but he's greater than us, not less than us. It's not an abstraction. The force, not just the force, the force can be with you, but we got an important message to add to that. We know who the force is, got a name, and you can know this force. It's not impersonal. That's the message of this book from beginning to end, personal. So if you want to know God and relate to God, you need to speak respectfully to him and about him. Two personal stories that I once in a while am reminded of when I hear other people talk. When I was a young man, I uh, grew up in a Christian context. I knew Ten Commandments in the denomination that I grew up in. The Ten Commandments were read by the congregation together every Sunday. 
everybody knew the Ten Commandments. So you didn't really get confused. Most people nowadays, even if they grow up in church, need to think about it, look it up. What are the Ten Commandments? Well, now you know three, right? Number one, no other gods. Number two, no graven images. No, in other words, idols about this God. And number three, don't take his name in vain. Third commandment. Well, why is that important? I grew up in that context, but I went away from that for a few years, uh, quite a few years maybe. I mean, relative to my age. And um, when I was in the, uh, in the military, I learned how to speak about Jesus and God, added some vocabulary, not the right kind. And I got a job in Denver as a truck driver after I got out, and Margie and I got married, and I was working there, and I had not made a commitment to Christ uh, or wasn't even interested at the time. But my boss, who was a big guy with scars on his face and had a very impressive background, if you're a guy like I was, pulled me aside one day and he said, Dave, the way you talk about Jesus and God... It's offensive to some of us, and I need to tell you this. Because Jesus is personal to me. He's not a swear word. And I thought, huh, that's interesting. I thought the way I was talking was very impressive and macho. But here's a big guy with a history who it turned out had had a dramatic conversion just a couple of years before that time, and he didn't like to hear God's name and Jesus' name used in that way. It wasn't a religious prescription or proscription. It was a personal offense to him. This was his friend. So, you got to think of it this way. If somebody is using your wife's name, in my case, or your husband's name, or your children's name, in a either a flippant way or a cussing way or derogatory way how would you feel about that I know how I would feel about it if you used my wife's name that way I would ask you if your medical insurance is up to date and that's exactly what God is saying this is personal I'm personal speak about me that way talk to me if it's real if it's you can tell that it's not real second experience that comes to mind and that was not long after I started in ministry, I supported myself for part of it by, uh, I was a commercial truck driver, and I was on a construction job, actually quite close to the church. I was driving a dump truck, and I'm sitting there talking to one of the guys. I think he was the excavator operator, and, and uh, this guy was a foulest mouth guy, and I never said anything. I just carried on this conversation. After about 15, 20 minutes, he said, uh, so you're not here very often. What do you do the rest of the time? And I said, well, I'm the pastor of that church down the road. I can see it from here. And uh, he said, oh, boy, I, I bet you didn't appreciate the way I talk very much. And I said, well, I look at it this way. God has to hear you talk that way 24-7. It won't hurt me to pick it up, have to listen to it for 20 minutes. So he said, huh. I hadn't thought about that. Well, that's the truth. Whether anybody hears about it or not, it's not a religious proscription. You can't talk that way because religion tells you or the church tells you. How about the person whose name you're using in that way? 
hears you. Does it matter then? You don't talk about people that way when they're right in front of you. Most people do, unless you're really, really corrupt. So think about it that way. God actually does hear you talk that way. He hears you talk at home. He hears you talk when you hit your thumb with a hammer. He hears you talk when the wrench slips and you got your knuckles gone. He hears it. He's there. Of course he is, because he's God and he's got good ears. He's got lots of other good things, too, and he can hear all that stuff. So do not use, misuse the name of the Lord your God. Now if you'll turn with me to uh, the passage. In the, now I'm going to skip that. I'm going to let you read that. I want to bring to you these five other verses from different parts of the Bible that carry forward this, uh, this uh, notion of God and respect for his name and what this means in our personal life. Uh, you'll get these on the overhead here. Number one. Uh, the verses, number one, is no power games. Now, this is in the insert here. On one side, it's the understanding the Trinity, which uh, some of you will have read a couple of weeks ago when I gave you this, but I, want to, uh, I wanted to redo that because it is about the nature and person of God, and I'll leave that for you to read in your own time. Uh, and number one, no power games. This is taken from Deuteronomy 18, verse 19 to 20. In other words, just a little later in the historical context from the Ten Commandments, uh, later in the, New Test in the Old Testament as well, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, fifth book of the Old Testament. And this is what God says through Moses. Uh, it shall be that whoever will not hear my words, which he... When, which, which he speaks in my name. So he's saying here that the prophets that he is going to send and give the messages through, this is, this is how they're supposed to respond. It shall be that whoever will not hear my words, which he speaks, the prophet speaks in my name, I will require it of him. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. Oh, it's kind of interesting. That's pretty strong. Then another portion, a part of that same, well, actually the book of Leviticus says they're supposed to all get together and take out the false prophets who claim, who use God's name to speak to them with authority, the authority of God, but it's fake. They were supposed to take them out and stone them to death. We've talked about this before. Our mission is not the mission of the Old Testament. The God is the same. The values are the same. But the mission and the construction of what we do is different. This is the church. This is a mission that is to bring Jesus and make disciples of Jesus all through the world. That's, we've talked about that quite a few times. Uh, so this is a political construction, a civil law that has to match the moral law because that's what it is, a theocratic kingdom. So, but apart from that point, been a few times in my life that I kind of wished we could still use this. When somebody makes a big splash about Jesus is going to return at 10 a.m. on May 18, 1999 and you better be ready and by the way send me buckets of money so I can spread the good word. And then 15 years later the same guy saying Jesus is going to return on May 18, 
2006, so send me buckets of money so I can spread the good. Wait a minute. The same guy? Isn't he supposed to be dead by now? At our hands? Or God's hands at least? Well, he is dead. In case I'm talking about, he is actually dead right now. And he's getting his just desserts. Wherever he is. He spoke in God's name, but it was fake. Well, you don't have to be that obvious to be using God's name in vain in a religious way. You know, here's a, here's a truism. A lot of people who would never cuss and swear still will use God's name to add power to their personal opinions. Some people do this by spiritualizing. Well, the Holy Spirit is leading me and leading me to tell you that you should give me some money so I can do this. And that's the Holy Spirit's word to you. And the only real resistance you can come up with for that is to say, well, the Holy Spirit told me you're a fake. I don't like to say that, but it's the only language some people hear. It's blasphemy. It's using the Lord's name in vain to enforce your opinion and your desires by using his name. Not just that. I have a quote here from Jerry Falwell. I was reminded of him uh, because his son, Jerry Falwell, recently endorsed Donald Trump. He's, uh, he's the president of a school back east. And Jerry Falwell, the original one, the big one, you need to keep this in mind, he weighed about 400 pounds. And here's, here's one of the reasons. This quote, Jerry Falwell said, I feel most ministers who claim they've heard God's voice are eating too much pizza before they go to bed at night. And it's really an intestinal disorder, not a revelation. What I like about this is that this is a preacher, so he knows preachers, and he weighs 400 pounds, so he knows pizza. He knows what he's talking about. <laughs> It's not just him. It's not just him. I have a really strong conviction that the preacher's job is to preach this word, the written word of God. If I can't point you to where it says that, I'm a fake. I can say, well, the Holy Spirit gave me a message and now I'm going to give it to you. And you must do all that I say because this is the word of God. Do I even sound right for that style? I remember a, when I first became a Christian, somebody gave me a magazine. Uh, I don't even remember the name of the ministry, but I remember the preacher. It was a guy named Kenneth Copeland. I don't even know if he's still around. But I'm reading this magazine, and the most amazing thing, one article in the magazine, Kenneth Copeland said, God gave me a word. And here it is. He printed it out. And the next one, the next article was, and so here is an exposition of God's word, and he did an exposition of his own word from God. How cool is that? It's called blasphemy in God's book. If God gives you a word, he gives you a word. But if you claim to be preaching that word, or expositing or teaching that word, you're as phony as a $3 bill. 
That should be the fine right there. Where is God's word and how can I get in on it if you're the only one who has the message? You're a fake. That's not how God does it in this book. It doesn't exist there. Even in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 14, Paul told them one of the uh, how to get along in the church passages. He says, if somebody has a prophecy, let them speak it out. But let the rest judge. I think that's a great idea. If you're hearing from God, if you might be, God might be showing you something that we should do as a church. But I don't believe it from God until I listen to it, look at it, compare it. Because God told me to do that. That's the word of God. That's how it works. God never just gives a person a word and then everybody's supposed to believe it at face value. That would be God. You're not God. I'm not God. You can hear from God. And you should. And my job as a preacher is not to tell you what God said through me, but to tell you what God said through the word. Then we're all on the same page, and we can all hold each other accountable. I think there'd be a lot less garbage in the religious circles if everybody followed that biblical principle. Number two, the Jesus connection. Therefore God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This Old Testament position about or teaching about God and, and the respect for his word, he passed on to Jesus. Jesus is part of the Godhead. That's why I put the article about the Trinity on there. This is, Jesus is that same thing. New revelation, new information about God, the nature of the Trinity and so on, but it's the same thing, respect for his name. I think it's a good idea to use Jesus' name respectfully and to seek out in God's word how we are supposed to approach God and speak about God. There's a lot of discussion. I brought this to your attention a couple of weeks ago about whether Allah is God, the God of the Old Testament. I just think that there's some openness about that. I don't think... The fact is, names do matter. It's not a technical issue, but it matters. Put it this way. If your baby calls you Gaga Gugu, you're going to be excited. He spoke. Gaga Gugu. He said Gaga Gugu. That's what babies call me sometimes. Gaga Gugu. I don't know what it means. But... Let me ask you this. When your baby is 18 years old and he's still calling you gaga goo goo, are you going to be happy about that? Are you going to realize that something went wrong here if they're still that way? You can call God anything you want if you don't know any better. But as you grow, if you grow, if you want to grow, 
You start caring about how God has identified himself. And you start speaking respectfully of him and the names he has revealed about himself and his identity. That's what maturity is. When people say, well, you can call God anything you want. Yeah, legally. But is that your standard, legally? You call God on the basis of what he revealed about himself. That tells us that you know him. That tells God that you know him and that you care because he has given this information for a purpose and this is how you get to know God and how you get to experience a relationship with him. If your only goal is to get by with a bare minimum, then I can't do anything for you and neither can God. We're talking about actually getting to know God and finding out how God works who he is, and what his nature is, and his identity is. Number three, evidence of the real. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Talking about, he goes on actually to use the expression here, these are wolves in sheep's clothing. I'm not, I don't think Jesus was advocating that we go around trying to decide who's a Christian and not a Christian based on uh, surface issues. If you've been following the news, you know that the Pope questioned whether Donald Trump was really a Christian. Jerry Falwell Jr. thinks he is and that he's being good press. And, and the Pope thinks he's not even a Christian. Well, and I've heard lots of people say they don't think Obama, President Obama is even a Christian, no matter what he says. Well, in reality, when a politician makes a claim, you do have to turn your brain on and know that politics is politics. But that's not what he's talking about. You want to know whether somebody is a real deal, even if they use the name of Jesus in their TV program or their healing crusade or whatever it is or, or their daily conversation. If you want to know, Jesus gives us the idea. By their fruits you shall know them. What do they live like? What are their values? That tells you whether it's the real thing or not. That's not that complicated. It's just sometimes a little hard for us to do because we don't want to be one of those kind of people that declare people, now that's not the real deal. No, that's not the real deal. You don't want to be that. But if it's important in your life and you need to make a decision the life tells you what this person is in heart, body, soul, and spirit. That's what Jesus said. And number four, own your own words. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oath to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, but let your yes be yes and your no, no, for Whatever is more than these is from the evil one. Yea be yea and nay be nay. Remember that from the King James version of this? I think it has a better ring to it. Let your yea be yea and your nay nay. I don't know, it sounds a little bit like horses. Uh, but, but it does stick in your head, doesn't it? In other words, Jesus is saying, don't bring me up at all if it's your opinion. 98% or 99% of everything we talk about 
It's our own feelings and opinion. Don't spiritualize by throwing Jesus' name in on top of your opinion. Don't moralize by showing, throwing God's moral law on top of what you're... Why don't you just say what you think and what you believe and let the chips fall where that's what Jesus meant. James picks this up. Same quote. Picks it up. Stand on your own two feet. Don't feel like you need to throw weight behind your opinion and your actions. You should speak for yourself. You're either the real deal or you're not. Years ago, Margie and I tried to help a couple in a marriage conflict. And uh, the guy had problems. And his wife was a very super spiritual Christian. I say super spiritual because... I would say superficial would be a better way to say it. And his complaint was very simple. I'm not alone in this marriage. I can't even have a discussion with her about anything without her claiming that God told her that she was right. Now how can you even be married to somebody like that? You can't. In the end, they're not. With my blessing... Because when somebody uses God's name, Jesus' name, the Holy Spirit's name, to endorse all of their opinions and all of their likes and dislikes, that's a fake. That ain't real. That's using the Lord's name in vain. God said, knock it off. Don't blaspheme that way. You've got an opinion. You've got a desire. You want to cook a steak? Cook the steak. You don't have to say the Lord wants us to have steak tonight or in the church. The Lord wants us to do this. The Lord wants... No, you do. The Lord wants us to sing this kind of music. No, the Lord wants us to sing that kind of music. Why don't you just say, I like this kind of music? And then the other people can say, I like this kind of music. Oh good, now we can negotiate an agreement. But if you claim God is on your side, you don't dare compromise. You're going to hell or something if you don't agree with me. That's fake. Own your own words. Jesus said. Boldness through Jesus. Last point. In that day you will ask me nothing most assuredly, I say to you. Whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Till now, you've asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. In the name of Jesus. Well, let's end this on a positive note here. You go to God, the Father, in the name of Jesus. That's not just an expression, but it's a motivation. It's a value system. You go to God, the Father. You pray to the Father in the name of the Son by the intercession and the work of the Holy Spirit. You've got the package deal because Jesus can get in that gate. Jesus can get in that door. Jesus can take you right to the throne of the Father. And that is not a figure of speech and it is not a formula. Well, if you say in Jesus' name, then it's got to happen. 
I don't think so. You can say that all day long and it doesn't make any difference unless it really is in Jesus' name. Jesus is going to take this to the Father, to the throne? Well, if he doesn't agree with it, no. And if you don't really care whether it's Jesus' opinion or not, but it's just a formula for you to get what you want, then he's going to throw it out. Not just throw the request out, but Lord, Lord, we did all this in your name. And he's going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. But if we make Jesus the basis of our relationship with God, we have access to God. We can talk to God. We can ask him. He'll do it. If the person whose name we're using in, to get into his presence, Jesus, agrees. That's great. That's a promise. That's power. But it's not power in magic words. It's power in relationship. That's how we get there and how we get results in our lives. Father, once again, we are reminded that you are personal, you are real, you're the God of the universe, and yet you reach down and touch us. You love us. You engage us. We want to show you respect because of who you are. But we also want to show our gratitude of how loving and personal you are. Thank you for what you've done through Jesus, revealing yourself, saving us, living in us. We want to experience that. That is a request we're making, making today, Father, that we know coincides with your will and the will of Jesus. So we expect it to happen, experiencing your power, confidence, purpose, success, all because of Jesus and what he did for us. His name we bring to you. Amen.